Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 103rd episode, it's the return of Megan Bob. Along the way, we discuss the odd cosmology of Dragon Jesus, porn cathedrals, and the Cinderin word for blowjob, and we sit in the moment when we all had a crush on Trent Lane. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on The Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress. Break of day to find our long forgotten gold. The pines were Bob, so for those who may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake? Oh boy, I forgot that question was coming. Okay. Everyone does. Ugh, it gets you. Every time. All right, so, and now I've forgotten the question. <laughs> who are you and what do you do, Bob? Okay. I'm Megan Bob from the Smash Fiction Podcast and also from the NXT Wrestling Fan, but we say Next Wrestling Fan. And what makes me a beautiful and unique snowflake? Let's see. I have a real passion for cheese. (laughs) There you go. I would have said that you don't have the ability to be shown a piece of media without making at least two people fall in love with each other. Oh, you know, that's probably a more representative sampling of the thing that makes me a beautiful and unique snowflake than my fondness for milk that has gone off. (laughs) It's like, why is this cap full of yogurt? Well, it started off as milk and time makes fools of us all. (laughs) Oh. That's beautiful. So, Bob, we've had you on before. Uh, you talked about the secret of Roan Inish, which I still have trouble saying. I thought uh, it was yeah. Roan Irish. And we talked about Tu Wong Fu, and we talked about all kinds of stuff. And then you came back and interviewed me, and we talked about a whole bunch of stuff about me. But now I want to get back to talking about stuff about you. Okay. Now, considering that Smash Fiction is coming to an end in theory, I'm not sure it ever will. Poor one uh- yeah, I mean, I'm going to wait and see. Like, until the corpse is buried, I'm not I'm not buying it. And having now listened to all of Smash Fiction and really kind of getting an idea of, you know, some of the people that are involved in it, I wanted to ask you about a few things that you've mentioned. Oh, boy. Potentially something like four years ago. Okay. <laughs> so, Bob, tell me about your feelings about Dragonheart. Dragonheart. Oh, man. I saw it in the cinema. And... I think I cried at it and I don't even as a child I wasn't a particularly I wasn't emotive in that way and so it struck a deep chord with me and I loved dragons I had so many books that were like dragon as protagonist or dragon as important plot point and I very strongly on the the dragons have to talk end of the spectrum I like dragons that are just creatures I was like no I'm not here for your basic dragons <laughs> I'm here for your they're proud and ancient people so that hit so many of my deep dragon feels and then I think the fact I don't think I'd heard Sean Connery's voice before either I think any human being with you know two ears and a heart You hear it, and even though he's a garbage person, that voice is so beautiful. And uh, I remember nothing about the fact that Dennis Quaid was in it until I went and rewatched it. So I was like, oh yeah, huh? There was some other people in it. Dennis Quaid, Dina Meyer, David Thewlis. David Thewlis, which I like David Thewlis. Obviously, that was my first ever exposure to him. And I remember, you know, hating that character deeply as you should I, there's nothing redeemable there but it was weird to go back and see it having seen david Thewlis and other roles and go oh my god he's so terrible and so gross i think also <laughs> is it julie christie oh yes you know luminous beautiful you know her eyes fill with tears at several points in the film <laughs> but they never fall so her eyes just look more beautiful 
I think she has that magical Kardashian skill, which is where if ever you need to cry, all you have to do is hold out like the middle finger of your hand and just like slightly dab at the dot at the inside of where your eyelid meets meets your nose and press down on that. That will suppress the tears without smearing your makeup. Oh, wow. Which is why there are so many memes of Kim Kardashian ugly crying, because once that threshold breaks, it all just goes. (laughs) It's just it's a retaining wall. Exactly. (laughs) Break the dam. Release the river. Oh, boy. So you talked about being into dragons. Oh, yeah. You know, did Pern ever figure into your early readings? No. And I I feel like I missed a boat somewhere along the way, as with so many pop cultural things in my life. I feel like I've missed a lot of boats. I went on a lot of different boats that maybe not as many (laughs) other people went on. I don't know how I ended up on those boats, but the major boats, I've missed quite a few of them. And Pern was one of them. I think I made a late stab at trying to get into it. And I read like a Anne McCaffrey short story that was in, you know how in primary school that they have for lit class, it'll be like just a big book full of short stories from a swath of authors, swathe, Mm -hmm. however you want to say it. I, I, swath. I know it's, I know there's a correct way to say it, but I like saying like swath or Mm -hmm. I don't know. I like both. They're both good. They're all good pronunciations, Bront. <laughs> there was an Anne McCaffrey short story that was like a Dragmar's a Pern story. And I enjoyed that. But I don't know. Like, I, I also loved fantasy. And I tried reading, you know, 10 pages of a Piers Anthony book as a kid and went, what the fuck is this? <laughs> said, uh, that's enough for me. Thanks. Not a fan of puns back then. I think I just thought it was a really weird way to do fantasy because there was like a lot of sexiness in it, but it seemed so bizarre to me because a lot of the fantasy I had read prior to that wasn't sexy in that way. Oh, you're not wrong. I don't know. Maybe I'm wildly misremembering what Piers Anthony's deal was. No, I read about a dozen Piers Anthony books. You're not wrong. It's always there. Okay. Okay, good. Because I remember like it being on page one and going, what is this? Why is this book so like so uncomfortably 70s sexy i don't want this kind of sexy it's about puns and magical talent and dragons and riddles but also everything is a carry-on movie yeah that was a weird vibe i i was not here for stop it. being uncomfortably horny Piers anthony mm. who are you don bluth christ yeah and i was expecting because i guess i really anticipated most fantasy being more a slow burn sexy which is the kind of sexy that i prefer my fantasy to be i have read some recent stuff and i kind of had to give up on it because it was so unrelentingly comedy horny and it was good comedy <laughs> horny but it was like oh this is not I just can't deal with that much awkward comedy horniness. It's just not entertaining. Yeah, I'm sure I've read something like that at various times where it's like, I'll pick it up and it's not even part of the story. It's just implied that anytime two people are together at night, oh, by the way, they're going to be boning down. Yeah. And it's like, is this is this required or? <laughs> was this a thing your publisher made you do? <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that was in, I had a, a big, I think I was at a used bookstore and I was trying to think, how can I get the most bang for my buck in my teenage years? And I bought one of those big best science fiction and fantasy story compendiums of the year. Okay. Uh, And it was this massive, like, it was soft cover, but it was as big as a big hardcover book. It was thick as a Bible. Oh, yeah. Those things are chonks. The stories were anywhere from, like, four or five pages to some of them were, like, 70 pages and those ones felt incredibly out of place when you've just read six that are like five pages and you get to this one you go oh it goes on oh (laughs) (laughs) but what i find is it's something specific about the short story medium that i find that if you don't get it it can feel the most unfair Mm. especially if it's a if it's a short story with a twist i did this with uh, it was a oh shoot what was his name the guy who wrote the prestige people are screaming at their phones right now Christopher somebody. Oh, okay. Um, I have seen it. Also wrote a book called The Dream Archipelago, and I got it because I really liked The Prestige, at least the movie. So I was reading it through, and then just the end of one of the chapters of this short story compilation. Like I, I was at an airport, and I read it, looked at it, went back a page, read it again, reread specifically the last two paragraphs, and went, what the fuck just happened? Oh, yeah. Is he dead? Did he ascend to a higher level of existence? What happened to the other thing that he was talking about? And the reason I get so like frustrated in that moment is because it's a short story. There's literally nothing else you can check. 
Yeah, short stories exist in a very specific world. And I know some people love them. And I think a good short story can be the best kind of storytelling of all. Mm-hmm. But they're so hard to do well that it, it's like, I, I don't want to, I'm not going to risk it on getting a collection of short stories because my odds of being burned are so high. <laughs> but the nice thing about a collection, though, is that if you're burned, you just go, eh, that was a stinker. I can move on. Yeah, I think I'm just unwilling to even love anymore, you know? <laughs> I just go, nah, I, I don't want to give in to it. Who knows? I like a particular quote from Chris Sims about Jack Kirby, where he was talking about how Jack Kirby didn't have time for that sucks. He was too busy. If he thought that it sucked, no worries, he'll catch you tomorrow. <laughs> it's wow. like, he's putting out so much that he does not have time for you not getting this one particular thing. Now, next thing, moving on. It's wild. So coming back a little bit to Dragonheart, because it is really kind of an odd film, right? Yeah, there's not another one like it. I mean, for good or bad, there's really, it's kind of the only one of its kind, much like Draco. It's medieval fantasy, war, succession, buddy comedy heist movie. Yeah. It's very of its time of just going like, what's a thing kids would like? And then are we going to try and make it really appropriate for kids or just kind of make a movie that has these things in it? Ah, we'll just make a movie that has these things in it. (laughs) And so there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of uncomfortable things about it. I, I mean, it's got some, you know, some like, yeah, peasants uprising. That's good. You know, being a tyrant is bad. Some of that well, stuff. That's true. You know, they've, they've always been revolting, but now they're rebelling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is an odd piece of media. I'm trying to think of what would have been the logic of going, what if a dragon and a knight were best friends? And then what if the dragon also had like a dragon Jesus, as Kit said in Smash Fiction, that was very important to the mythology and had to do certain things to be able to like ascend to dragon heaven? That's a bold move. I feel to try and go, okay, not only are there dragons, but also a rich dragon religion that figures heavily in this world. Also weird dragon ethics around you don't actually eat people. You just chew them up and spit them out because that would be disgusting. Yeah, that's, that's a much grosser thing to do. <laughs> Sorry, I just lost my train of thought. I'm just thinking oh, that's of okay. Sean Connery as Draco. It's funny. I was I remember someone saying once that Benedict Cumberbatch voice was like a, a jaguar trapped in a cello. And I'm trying mm. to think an equivalent analogy for a Sean Connery voice. Oh, boy. I think it's the sound of like scotch being poured onto a leather couch. <laughs> or like when you put an ice cube into scotch and eventually the ice cube gets to the point where it starts to break down and you get that little crack as it breaks into two pieces. Oh, beautiful. (laughs) But talking of dragons and sort of fantasy and things like that, Bob, from what I understand, you were hugely into the Lord of the Rings. Okay, yes. I think there are people who are so unbelievably into it that I feel uncomfortable saying that I'm into it because I think it implies that I know the Maiar and the Iluvatar and those. I'm probably misusing those terms. I'm sure somebody's yelling about it. I do apologize. I do want to couch it in the, the fact that I am not an expert, merely very passionate. You're a talented amateur, not a professional. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I have not read The Silmarillion, just a fan of the fact that it exists. So, yes, I am into Lord of the Rings. I had to read it for a class. We were assigned all of it for summer reading. Wait, all of the Lord of the Rings for one summer? Yes. All right. My dad was always super into Lord of the Rings and Tolkien in general. And so... I don't know. I just remember falling in love with that world and going, it's so cozy and beautiful, but also full of deep sorrow and unwinnable situations. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. Some of the first fanfic I ever read was definitely Sam Frodo. Absolutely. Of course it was. Not the very first, but some of the very first. And certainly some of the first that was very well written. I got to ask, though. Yes. Bob, was this horny fanfic or was this just fanfic? Oh, you know me. You know me. You know the answer to that. It was obviously horny fanfic. (laughs) There was some that, okay, I want to clarify this and say that one of the things, the maybe the hallmark of Lord of the Rings fanfic is that even the horny fanfic 
is not invested in the horniness. It is invested in the slow unfolding relationship and the deep wells of emotion therein. And the horniness is just kind of a garnish, I guess, <laughs> and always really deeply grounded in the characters rather than in just going like, well, I want to make sure you get your money's worth for this boning. It's, it, it doesn't even enter into that. It's like, okay, if there's not an elven way to say, you know, I don't know, blowjob, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> That's that level of going, okay, it has to fit within the constraints of the world and make sense for these characters in this way at this time. So it ended up being this, like, the most beautiful version of porn you can imagine. Like a porn cathedral. <laughs> a porn cathedral or, you know, a horny garnish, like parsley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Notoriously parsley. the sexiest of the garnishes. <laughs> That's why they only put a little tiny bit. If you put more than that, oh, man. And people will be rolling around the Ponderosa Steakhouse. Yeah. You don't want that. <laughs> so there was something specific, I think that like i remember reading the hobbit first and just blew through the hobbit and tried to get into fellowship and stopped mm -hmm. about maybe a tenth of the way in because stepping from one to the other it's just it's a bit jarring right they're so different and so it was i was an adult by the time i read them all but you know i this is a just a, a theory of mine where okay. i think when we're young we want to think that we're Aragorn. We want to think we're Legolas. We want to think we're Gimli. We want to think we're a hero off doing stuff, right? Yeah. I can say with my hand on my heart at 37 years old, just let me be a hobbit. Yeah. I wanted so bad to be an elf whenever I was a teenager. And then the older I get, the more I'm like, man, fuck Rivendell. Like, I want to go hang out, but I want to <laughs> go as a hobbit. And then go back and have these incredibly elaborate, like, English breakfasts. Oh, yeah. The food alone in Tolkien is... I would take the food in Tolkien, even though there's very little of the big feast scenes. I would take that over any of George R. R. Martin's food porn any day. Yeah, it's real good. There's something about... It's been parodied a lot, but that's that bit where Gandalf turns up to Bilbo's house. And he starts off asking if he wants some tea. And by the time he's gotten around to the end of the sentence, he's offered him tea, wine, food sausages eggs and just like like running through all the things that he could potentially make him to make his guest feel welcome and that speaks <sighs> to me as a very house proud kind of person oh yeah hobbits are so interesting because i think we want to feel that they're really chill people i don't think they are i think they have a very particular area where they just go no this is the way things have to be uh, like <laughs> like their rules around parties very strict <laughs> there are standards to be upheld there are. You have to give gifts away to other people on your birthday, and you, they have to be good. If they're shit gifts, like, you're a bad hobbit. <laughs> it's like it's the nice side of the Seinfeldian conversation. Oh, tell me more. Uh, well, you know, the, the Seinfeldian thing of, if I do this, do I have to do this? You know, where's mm. my obligation? How far do I have to take this? Is usually kind of the frame of any Seinfeldian question mm -hmm. around, I've said thank you. Do I need to thank him again? Do I need to call him to say thank you a second time after thanking him twice when he gave me the thing? And the answer is yes, because then when you go to get the thing again, see, you should have called and thanked him because you could have at the time said, I want to use that thing again. I was going to ask, did you read the Chronicles of Narnia as a kid or did you ever read them? Yes, I read them as a kid. I think I was in second grade. Okay. I realized that they get kind of compared to one another or lumped in together, obviously, because they sort of come from the same well of old dudes. I don't know, thoughts on Chronicles of Narnia versus Lord of the Rings in terms of the magicalness or the, the tone stuff? Well, honestly, when I was reading them as a kid, it was one of those situations where all of the allegory went completely over my head. Oh, yeah, same. Like, for all everyone's like, uh, duh, Aslan's Jesus. Like, that never occurred to me. And, you know, I was a church-going kid. My parents took me to church. But it just never occurred to me. It was just a story I was reading. And I think because of that, Round about the time when the Don Treader finished, mm. I was still along for the ride, but I think I wasn't as engaged because I didn't mm. quite get what was happening. It's the same as the uh, Susan Cooper Dark is Rising series, which is an excellent series and I love it. They were on my list and I never read them. A pro another boat I have missed. 
<laughs> well, the second book, The Dark is Rising, is the one that everyone knows because it's honestly the best of them. And it's very much a sort of a tale of this of this kid finding things. And if he gets enough of the things, then they will lead him to the next thing. And so it's very much this adventure story, but also this kid and he's at home with his parents. And it's really interesting and a great introduction, even though I'd read the previous one, which is Overseen Under Stone, I think it was. But that didn't sit with me the way Dark is Rising did. And the way I did when I was in grade seven, I would get a teacher that would loan me the book and I would read it just a hundred times. Wow. Whereas later when you got to, because it gets very heavy into Celtic and Welsh mythology, Mm. like really heavy. And again, at a certain point, I'm just coasting to see the end of the book. I don't actually understand what's going on. Mm, Yeah. The Narnia books... They do not hold together as a cohesive whole the way that Lord of the Rings, like not even remotely the way that Lord of the Rings does. And so I definitely didn't read all of the Narnia books until way late. I read a couple of them. I mean, I read The Horse and His Boy because it said a horse on the cover. (laughs) And uh, it was fine. (laughs) There was a horse in it. In that way, I got my money's worth, I guess. And a boy. So you can't say it wasn't accurate. Yeah. I mean, it does what it says in the tin. Nothing else. That's the only thing it does. It's honestly, coming back to fanfic, it's kind of like an in-between episode fanfic from a TV show. Yeah, it's... C.S. Lewis had a weird idea of what stories he wanted to tell, I think. I don't know what motivated him to go, these are the moments that I really value. This is the story I want to tell. (laughs) Like, what order did you read them in if you were reading them? Was it just kind of in and out, or...? Whenever I went back and did a reread as a 20-year-old or 20-something-year-old, I read them in order. Or the order that you're supposed to read them in, I guess. Magician's Nephew first or Land of the Witch and I Wardrobe first? I think I read that one first. Yeah, see, that's how I read them too. I read that Magician's Nephew, Land of the Witch and the Wardrobe, Horse and His Boy, and then threw on to the rest. And it was at one school library where they were ordered in that way. And then I went to another school and they were numbered and bound differently. Mm. And suddenly everyone had read them in a different way. And I was just like, I couldn't comprehend that this had happened. Who allowed this to happen? Uh-huh. You know, it's wrong. There is a real sense of bizarre continuity depending on how you read them. And the fact that time moves around in Narnia makes it very difficult to follow along easily. Yeah, totally. Oh, I just realized we completely skipped off my Seinfeldian conversation bit. Oh, I'm sorry. But that's okay. Uh, But just to quickly come back to that Seinfeldian conversation, it was a thing I put on Twitter that I know I'm wrong in, but I wanted people to tell me that I was right. And enough people told me I'm wrong, but then a tiny, tiny sliver of people said, yes, you're right. And so therefore I continue to think that I'm right, even though I know I'm wrong. Oh, wow. So, Bob, I want you to imagine a workplace. Okay. And in this workplace, every once in a while, like not every day, but maybe every second or third day, one person will get up from their desk, walk over to other peers at the same level and go, hey, I'm going to get coffee. Do you want one? And person two will go, yeah, sure. And go to give them money and person one will go, oh, don't worry about it. They will then go and buy coffee and get one for, for person B or person C or person D, depending on how many people want them. With the understanding that probably next time person B or C is going to go and they will get coffee for person A. My viewpoint, which I believe to be correct even though i know it is it is like categorically wrong <laughs> is that if person b later offers to go and get coffee and person a says no person b has been resolved of his obligation to get another coffee in my mind the owing is not in the money uh, as in i spent money on you it is in the act of going down and doing a nice thing by taking your person and walking your person out of the office down the street to the coffee shop and coming back that is effort being spent And to me, that is what is the true kind of currency of this transaction. Hmm. The internet disagrees with me. (laughs) Hmm. Like a lot. I see both. Because, okay, so I think about it in terms of rounds at the pub. Exactly. That was the example I brought. And that was what got me people saying yes. It's like, if you say no, I'm right. I don't want one. Yeah. Because the thing ends with the night. Whereas in a workplace, it's continuing. So then I feel like there's more complexity to it. But, you know, rounds of the pub, if you say, if you, somebody gets one for you, and then by the time it's your turn, they're like, now nah, I'm good. Like, you don't have to write it in your ledger. <laughs> and when people were trying to argue it, the example I came up with is, okay, well, let's say you're out for an evening and you buy the first round. And then at like 11 p.m., someone comes up to me and goes, oh, hey, by the way, when you bought your round, you missed me. You need to buy me a beer now. Oh, wow. That person is objectively a dickhead. 
Yes. And a monster. The Australians I put that question to, their response was, I would in fact buy him the beer, but I would never let him forget it. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. But yes, that is my sidebar to Seinfeldian obligation and complications. Hmm. I think you might be right. I would not feel comfortable doing that. I feel like I couldn't let it go. Oh, like a lot of people's standards about certain things, they crumble in the face of someone well-meaning and earnest. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's like when someone takes a big stand about how, about what ingredients should be on a hot dog or, you know, what constitutes a sandwich or whatever. Oh, boy. And like people get really, really angry about it. But the truth is, if someone you know, whose opinion you respect, walked up to you and gave you a hot dog and it had the wrong ingredients on it, you'd probably just take it and thank them and eat it, you know? Yeah, I, if you're sane, yes. You would not throw it down and be like, I have to leave because of you. Yeah, I'm taking, this is a moral stance. I'm trying to even think, what's the thing that could be on a hot dog that somebody would go, that's unacceptable? People get upset about ketchup on hot dogs. It's a whole thing. I mean, I don't like it, but it's a... It's a condiment. I don't know. Hey, I come from a family where my dad used to love after Thanksgiving because there would be cranberry sauce in the offing and he would ask for a hot dog with lettuce and cranberry sauce on it. Yeah, that seems legit. I mean, look, I eat tamales with cranberry sauce and that is the weirdest, whitest thing, but it's delicious. (laughs) And I I know of, I have no excuse for it. It's just tasty. All right, so I think we've kind of drained the fantasy well for a moment. So I can Mm -hmm. move on to the next thing that you mentioned that was really important to you several years ago. So, Bob, tell me about Daria. Oh, oh, Daria. So we had MTV by the time I was in late middle school, early high school. And I was a weird child in that I had a strong sense of what I should and shouldn't watch. I don't know that my parents ever were like, no, you shouldn't watch this. I think I was like, oh, this is inappropriate or this is a bad show. This is not for me. Yeah. I mean, I didn't like Rocco's Modern Life for that reason. I felt like it was inappropriate. (laughs) I didn't like Red and Stimpy. I felt like it was inappropriate. I still maintain that. It is a disgustingly animated show. Yes, it is. I never got into it for that very reason. Yeah, I don't want to come to a TV show to be appalled. I know some people, like, that's their thing, but I have none of that. And so this was at the time whenever MTV had some programming on it, quite a lot of their reality shows happening, and then Celebrity Deathmatch as well, which was obviously a very popular claymation show that if you haven't seen it, don't. I mean, it's okay. It's upsetting, but there are worse things. (laughs) And Dario was on as well. Yeah, you want to watch clay people get murdered? There's the internet for that. Yeah. Oh, God. What a weird concept for a show. I mean, I get it's edgy. So, you know, well done, MTV. And I remember watching Daria and feeling overwhelmingly seen in that finally there was somebody who, I guess, processed the world really differently and didn't feel obligated to be positive or enamored with what was happening and felt very comfortable being different and maybe not loudly different but very visibly different and that was such a relief because I was like wait I don't understand why all these other things why everybody else is so excited about these other things I don't understand I mean I think I was like every really internal bookish kid like I don't understand why this social thing is really exciting for everybody I don't get it and I also don't have the energy or time or fucks to get this thing (laughs) so I was like oh finally finally some media for me (laughs) because there was a lot of you know TGIF I think was also happening at that time so there was a lot of other you know stuff for teens that was very predicated on traditional school drama about, you know, asking the boy out or, you know, needing a dress that fit a certain way for this event or, you know, trying to get a good grade on a thing. And Daria was so not about that. It was about trying to deal with the world that didn't make any damn sense, that adults insisted certain things were the way that they were and should be and going, well, but it's very obvious that you're wrong or that you have kowtowed to capitalism or to the patriarchy or to expectations about what women's bodies should look like or whatever it was. Oh, I was going to say, we should probably, for, you know, the youngs who are listening, Bob, you should probably say what Daria is. 
Oh, yeah. See, th- this is where I need Dan with me. Because Dan <laughs> would immediately go, Bob, you didn't say the, the, what it is. You just had a lot of feelings about it. And nobody is along for the ride who doesn't already have these feelings. It's okay. completely okay. Daria was a show on MTV that was about a high school girl and her best friend, Jane. And she moved there from another place. And it's very... I don't not middle America, but just very normal, like overwhelmingly normal high school. Her being kind of counterculture, but it's kind of predates hipsters. It's not really that. It's this specifically like 90s, early 2000s, a bit grungy vibe of going like, I'm not impressed by the way that things are being done, or I'm not impressed with the fact that we're having a school dance or you know, not interested in the fact that there's a football team, all this other stuff. And everybody else around her is fairly normal cast for a high school teen drama. And unlike a lot of shows, it actually follows from, I think, like freshman or sophomore year all the way to senior year and a little bit beyond. Yeah. And I think part of what is really good about the show is that, because you mentioned that Daria's kind of counterculture. She's not aggressively so. Like, she is not, for example, going and disrupting this activity. She is just not going. And if she is forced to go, she will stand in the corner and be snarky about it. So it's this, you're right, it's a sort of, I don't want to say passivity, because I think that's the wrong word. But it's, yeah, I am am refusing to engage with this thing because I don't deem it important. Mm -hmm. And that, I think takes it from like if it was a story about someone who ruined things for other people oh no that's way less alluring than someone who just didn't get it and wanted to do her own thing i so agree i think that for the most part daria is a character who doesn't super yuck other people's yum does not celebrate their yum but does not go you're a terrible person for enjoying this just goes "Mm, okay and less forced to engage with it. I'm thinking specifically of the episode whenever the modeling school, you know, people come and Quinn and all of them are going, oh, I want to be a model. And Daria's going, no, being a model is terrible. <laughs> this is perpetuating disgusting stereotypes and is an exploitative world. Yeah. And I think it's in that development of not yucking other people's yum where you get to see Daria's development throughout the series. Because Quinn, who is her younger sister, I think? Yes. She's younger? Yes. Who is very kind of teeny bopper and fashionable and hangs with the cool girls and almost on purpose does not engage her brain. And it's found out later that, no, she's actually quite intelligent. She just doesn't assign any value to those things. Much in the same way that Daria does with stuff that people try to get her to do and it's in those relationships where you get to see kind of daria give give a bit as opposed to just constantly being this unchanging snarky uninvolved person and i think that's where the show really shines you know they've built it up throughout that oh yeah so this person acts a certain way in these circumstances when she acts differently it's for a reason and it makes sense within the story yeah i love that there's character growth and i did a big rewatch of it with neil whenever I think we were living in Ireland at the time and just binge the entire series and it held up really well. And I went, this should be required viewing for high schoolers because I think everybody has those feelings and there's so little media that affirms that it's okay to feel like this and that you can also be a protagonist. You don't have to be, I guess, normal to be a protagonist. Yeah. You don't have to be the funny side character in someone else's story. Absolutely. And I also loved that it had such an interesting, strong female friendship at the core of it. Oh, yeah. Daria and Jane are great. They are. And I mean, part of me ships it and part of me doesn't ship it. But I just loved that it was a friendship that had, you know, some drama in it, not very much drama, but that they really enjoyed one another's weirdness. Yeah, and that they would occasionally either or the one or the other would come up with something and the other would just go, this is a weird thing you've brought me. Thank you for bringing me this thing. Yeah, it's such a unique female friendship. I struggle to think of an, one in media that is similar to that. I think the show, again, talking more about what it might have been if it was not what it was, I think the show could have also made a misstep by making Daria and Jane always right. Oh, yeah. 
That would have been terrible. It would have been bad because it would have been just, oh, this person is always correct and no one listens to them. Instead, yeah, you have them have fights occasionally over a boy, which is the worst episode because it's like, oh, please don't do this. You, yeah. you know better. Or even like Jane gets involved in like a rockabilly subculture and you get to see some of the nastiest elements of any subculture defined on a particular thing where mm -hmm. people are like picking out others based upon what they're wearing. and Oh, that's not period accurate. And oh, that's a knockoff or that's this. And, and just Jane being like rejecting that entire thing. I've used that example so many times of this weird gatekeepy aspect of some yeah. subcultures that it's like, not nah, nobody wants that. But I mean, like we're talking about a show and we're making it sound very heavy. It's also incredibly funny. It is. And so easy to watch. I would say you can sit down and watch any episode and feel at ease and satisfied by the end of it. There is very little that happens that you go, oh, no, this is difficult and irredeemable or this is emotionally challenging. And I've got to mention Trent because Trent's a recurring favorite. I, I like Trent. Trent is Jane's older brother. Uh, yeah, well, Trent's great, except for he's not, but he is. He makes so much sense. I completely get why Daria had to think for him. You know, same. Everybody would. Because he's this, you know, beautiful slacker boy, like, who's in a band. and This whole patch. Yeah, you absolutely think that's the greatest thing ever until you get older and go, wait a second. You <laughs> are, are, I don't want to support you forever. This is terrible. Yeah. Trent, do you have any money? And he's very silent. And she goes, Trent. And he goes, I had none. So I said nothing. Ha, <laughs> Uh, the writing for each character is really strong and individual. I love that about it. Yeah. And I mean, even little side characters like in Quinn's group of friends, you know, you've got uh, Stacy and oh God, who's the ringleader? I always forget her name. Oh boy. Nope. Sorry. Don't remember. So the one who is constantly trying to like assert her control over Quinn. Quinn. Oh, gee, Quinn. <laughs> And there's Stacy, who's the neurotic one who just wants everyone to get along and is trying far too hard. And then there's Tiffany and Tiffany rules because Tiffany is so dumb. It's just uh. so incredibly dumb that her whole role is to speak very slowly uh. about things. Yeah, Stacy. Tisk. Oh, my God. I'd forgotten that was I forgot which character it was until he did the voice. <laughs> And again, that's stuff that comes out in later episodes, because earlier, like, she talks at a normal speed and isn't a caricature, but it's great. It's just like, they have built up these kind of deck of playing cards of side characters who can be used in these situations, and you know how they're going to react, you know? Oh, yeah. It's very good. A plus. All right, Bob, so if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, where would they go? One place you can find me is if you go to any of your podcatchers of choice, and you go listen to the Smash Fiction podcast, or the next wrestling fan, NXT wrestling fan. That is one way to get more of your Megan Bob needs met. Another way is to follow me on Twitter where I don't tweet that often, but every now and then I will tweet about sexy hamburglers or other things. <laughs> and that is at Megan Bobness. I think that's mostly where you can find me. Other places, if you can find me on Tumblr, then, you know, welcome. But I'm not going to tell you where to find me on Tumblr. That's a secret. Or your Hugo award-winning fanfic. Yes, my Hugo award-winning fanfic. Man, you know what? If you at me on Twitter, I'll tell you about it. But I'm not going to just put that out there for people to gawk at my beautiful fanfic about good omens. <laughs> the, the good angel and demon boys. Yes! I, of all the fanfic, I that's the, easily the pairing I've written the absolute most of. Rightfully so. <laughs> and... I'd like listeners to, if you're interested at all in wrestling or are interested in getting into wrestling, go and listen to The Next Wrestling Fan because they've only just started. So there's only, I think, what, four or five episodes out at the moment? Yes. So you can start from the beginning. Like, there are lots of podcasts that talk about getting people into wrestling. This is one of the ones where I really hold it up as an example because it's not just that, oh, this is how you appreciate wrestling. It's like, this is nuts and bolts stuff. Like, there are questions being asked at certain points where I go... You know, I never thought about that. You know, I just accepted that as part of the suspension of disbelief of the setting, you know? So basically what they're doing is they go and they watch old episodes of NXT, which is a great wrestling show, and they go week by week through it and use that as an example to teach Megan Bob about wrestling. 
Yes, and this is absolutely a show for people who are starting at square one of how does a wrestling match work? What even constitutes the rules of wrestling? How do I know when a match has begun or ended? The very basic things that otherwise just sort of wash over you and you're going, I don't really understand how it's happening or what's happening, but something is happening. This is trying to lay bare a lot of the things that I think it's very easy to take for granted. And I get to ask all the questions and just be a curious wrestling baby. But then you also write the recaps and it gets, uh, what were we saying before? Uncomfortably horny sometimes? Yeah, sometimes it does get uncomfortably horny. And I also get to write a fanfic to show that I, you know, can use the term of the week in a sentence. And so if you just want to hear me talk about some characters wrestling, if you will send me two characters that you think are interesting on at the NXT wrestling fan on Twitter, I will put them in a fanfic. I think I did, in fact, send you Bowen and Draco from Dragonheart at one point. What? I feel I like I don't yeah. have those on the list. All right. Oh, no. Putting those on the list right now. So, uh, one of the examples of the NXT wrestling fan that I've sent to people to get them interested in the show is Bob referring to Welsh powerhouse Mason Ryan as like a Welsh hillside. Sheep should be grazing on his muscles. Get off that man, sheep. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, that was such a weird one. I, even as I said, I was like, oh, this is too weird. But that's the thing. It's turning into the skid. That's how you drift. Everyone knows that. Mm, thank you so much if nothing else if nothing else dear listeners please go check out episode six of the next wrestling fan which will be coming out on october 19th because in that episode we have the beautiful and wrestling fantastic lucas brown that's right i was in fact your first guest and i was very proud about that yes and oh such a good wrestle dad this actually makes up for Miles referring to me as the master of the brownward spiral in the surprise party. I'm so mad about that still. Uh, I don't understand. Horrible. I know Dan had a reaction to it as well. And I was like, is it just because it's a gross collection of words? What is, what's it is, wrong it's, with it's, it? It's because there was a wrestler called Edge. And before he got better finishing moves, he had a move called the downward spiral because he was sort of a new metal-y kind of late 90s counterculture pseudo oh so it was a nine inch nails reference and then the minute you change downward to brownward it's just ugh. yeah it's like when you're watching the dark crystal age of resistance and that one skexis just keeps snotting everywhere and you ah! feel it like in the back of your throat it's like ah no no one wants this <laughs> okay now i understand because i mean i did think it was gross but i was like wait is there deeper levels to this beyond just how upsetting that is as a collection of words no, no, you can either take, make it shallow or make it deep, but either way, it's just upsetting. So uh, I forgive you, Miles. Oh, that's nice. I'm glad we finally brokered a piece about this. <laughs> All right, Bob, thank you for coming back. This has been great. Thank you. It's lovely to talk about Dragonheart with you. Thank you very much to Megan Bob for her time. For Megan Bob's signature cocktail, I took some of the suggestions that she gave me last time and combined it with a few influences from her current abode and ended up with the Draco. In a shaker full of ice, combine one ounce of tequila or mezcal if you can get it, three quarters of an ounce of Aperol, three quarters of an ounce of lime juice, and half an ounce of maraschino liqueur. Shake vigorously until combined and strain it into a pre-chilled cocktail glass. A drink that'll put fire in your belly, an edge on your teeth, and love into your heart. Enjoy!
The Matha View is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every second Thursday evening, and if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathaview at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at themathaview, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram. If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash and pledge as little as a dollar a month. Or, you can pledge as much as you want. You could create a dragon's hoard, full of gold, and also digital currency. Patrons get bonus cocktail recipes, physical mail, and I would just really appreciate it a whole bunch. If you want to support non-monetarily, you can go to Apple Podcasts in the country of your choice and leave a five-star rating. It helps people find the show. You can also write a review, and I'll read it out. Won't that be nice? If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. Go to bit.ly slash themathofyou, with capitals at the beginning of each word, to find a Spotify playlist going all the way back to episode one, with every song I've ever used. Including this one. It's The Last Dragonborn, by Dragon Force. That's right, Dragon Force wrote a song about Skyrim. It rules. It's really good. Also, you can just picture Megan Bob riding on Draco with her arms up like she's on a never-ending story poster going, Yeah! At least I picture that. Anyway, I update the playlist as soon as the episode goes live, so make sure you subscribe and get new music in your ears. Next week, my guest will be, once again, a mystery. Isn't it nice to have a little bit of mystery in your life? Anyway, join me, won't you? We always do a countdown whenever Dan has us recording, so I'm very programmed to go like, nobody said one, two, three, record. How do I start? Yeah, well, we're cooler than Dan over here. <laughs> Rebel. Also, I gotta say, now having listened to literally all of Smash Fiction. Oh boy. You guys dunk on Dan so hard. <laughs> I know. Dan doesn't deserve it. Dan puts up with so much shit. Like, Dan is easily the most level headed, insane of the group. <laughs> He's the basic boy. And it's like, yes, I guess we're gonna keep fun of Dan today. And he goes, hey, 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 stop it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> It's uh, easy to understand why he's the GM and the rest of us are just a bunch of chuckle fucks. <laughs> Specifically, like with some of the early ones, there was a lot more of a Dan and Miles rivalry. Like, yeah! Dan would like it would do something and Miles would like go in on him and they'd go back and forth. No, oh, yeah, I could do this. It's, I think that's a... Yeah, it's very interesting to go back and hear those early episodes whenever there was like all this spiciness. And even there's a couple that now looking back on them, I'm like, oh my gosh. Where Dan's really like, what are you talking about? Like, oh man, Dan's normally the super level-headed one. I listened back to a few and there wasn't even a lightning round. And I'm like, what's, what's happening? I know. This is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful wife. <laughs> yeah, the old episodes are odd. I'm doing a re-listen since the podcast was coming to an end. And it's been very weird to go and like listen to those early, like the first 15 episodes and go show was so different <laughs> very much so although it's funny i was watching the magnificent seven last night because i am an old man and so <laughs> hashtag old man things exactly it's because what were you drinking while you were watching it i was drinking let's see what's it yeah i think it was a rub roy so, all right yep <laughs> so is it yep. a scotch-based manhattan this all checks out a big single ice cube and a massive crystal glass so, I was, yeah, I was watching the uh, the Magnificent Seven, and I went, how has there not been a surprise party of the Magnificent Seven slash the Ooh. Seven Samurai slash the other Magnificent Seven? <laughs> like, you could also be, like, a bug's life, because all the beats are the same, you know? Oh, man. That, hmm. Or the Three Amigos. Oh, God. I question whether we're really done with some of that stuff. I think there's going to be the odd urge to go... Look, I just really want to do a surprise party episode, and I think there'll be the odd one, or the odd, like, maybe shipwrecked or something that'll happen every now and then. Yeah, I reckon. I just don't think we could totally break up with it. (laughs) 
what I thought was really funny, and I put this on, on Twitter as well, it was that compared to the 2016 or 2017 one that came out with Denzel Washington and Chris Pratt, the, the Mexican bandito, who is the one Mexican guy of the group of seven, although if you count Charles Bronson, he's officially half Mexican, half Irish, although I don't know, it's Charles Bronson, he plays so many nationalities, gets a better arc in the 1960 movie than he does in the 2016 movie. Oh, wow. Which is saying something. Yeah, I have seen neither, but I can mm-hmm. believe that that is the case. The 60s movie is a lot quieter than the newer one. But yeah, it was just, I was watching it and I'm like, okay, so he gets to be sort of the young tag along kid, but he also gets to be the like the hot-headed upstart who wants to start shit. But he also gets to be, he has this weird dislike of the farmers and you find out it's because, you know, his family was farmers and he ran away and he, so he has this intrinsic hatred and he has a love story and like he wants to prove himself. Wow. I'm like, this is all like, Wow. You know, one of those things where you expect that in a modern film, and it's like, this movie is literally 59 years old. I sometimes, I don't know, sometimes older movies, I mean, I guess there's the factor that if it wasn't good, we wouldn't still be watching it. That's true. So there's like lots of shit that gets filtered out over the years. But whenever we watched, you know, Moonstruck, (laughs) I was like, is this the greatest film that's ever been made? I think it might be. Like, it's... (laughs) I don't remember how old this film is, but it's so good. And I was like, I would kill for a movie that came out now to be this good. <laughs> yeah, and of course, because I was reading about The Magnificent Seven, I went and looked up the, some bits of The Three Amigos, which I have not seen since I was eight years old. And it's such a ridiculous movie, that one. Like, it's like clearly the brakes were off, and they're like, just do whatever you want. Ugh. The bit where Chevy Chase is standing with a poncho and a sombrero surrounded by banditos. And he has, and like the the leader is at the front trying to get them to go. And then we did this, yeah. And then we did this, yeah. And he turns to Chevy Chase and he's like, and then we pillaged the village. And they go, yeah. And he goes, and then we raped the horses. And they go, oh yeah. My God. And then we rode off on the women. <laughs> yes. And he gets a few more and he hits another p word and accidentally says pruned. And one guy goes pruned, the hedges of the tiny villages and the guy leading the group goes yeah wait who are you (laughs) i was watching it and i'm just like this is like maybe two minutes longer a scene than it would be in a movie now because it's just like keeps building and you watch him just get more and more uncomfortable oh wow i don't know that i've ever seen it all the way through it's one of those yeah it's like a tbs sunday afternoon movie kind of thing yeah that, those are all my associations with it is having seen bits of it on cable television throughout the years typical all right well we should probably get started then huh sure let's do this thing all right well i suppose we could we could wrap it up at this point i have not had any coffee yet so i am a little oh sure slow and loopy um so bob just before we wrap things up why don't you tell people who they mm. uh, no why don't you tell people i'm gonna say that again i'm gonna give it another try